If you're having a hard time finding teachers to work in your school or district, you are not alone. And then when we start talking about some of our harder-to-fill positions, uh, math or science or special education, we might be lucky to only get four or five applicants for a position, and that's across the board. Then when we start talking about, well, what about applicants who you know diversify our workforce or race or ethnicity, uh, gender, uh, first-time college attendees, things like that, it, it makes those pools even smaller. It's a problem that is prevalent in many, many places all over the country. Today, we're speaking with one school district that's looking inward to find aspiring teachers. We've been working with our our current high school teaching staff to identify potential students with, you know, some of the characteristics that we'd like to see in a quality teacher. Specifically, they're trying to make sure that their teachers match the diversity of their student body. And you know what? It's working. The first year when we kicked this program off, our diversity hiring went through the roof in terms of results. And we hadn't yet graduated anyone through either of our programs. And I really attribute that to that word of mouth out in the community that, wow, something's different here this year. You know, and and I don't know what it is, but I like it. From Frontline Education, you're listening to Field Trip. Today we're speaking with Jason Olson, Director of Human Resources at Verona Area School District. Jason, it's good to talk to you. Hey, it's good to talk to you. Verona Area School District is just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. They have about 5,600 students. 30% are students of color, and 20% speak Spanish as their first language. I asked Jason to talk about their reasons for wanting a teacher workforce that reflects the makeup of their student body. Uh, I think a couple of reasons. One is um, the research tends to point towards better outcomes for ch- uh, children of color when there's more role models uh, that look like them, sound like them, talk like them uh, in the classroom. And it's really also something that we hear from students themselves when we do uh, like perception surveys and, and focus groups and things like that, that, you know, they, uh, student, our students of color wish they had more um, teachers who look like them. Even though students are coming from a variety of different backgrounds and socioeconomic circles, Jason said that it's easy to overlook some of the issues that minority students face. I mean, just from kind of a base level, there's there's just so many things that, that majority students and, and majority adults, staff members, can uh, oftentimes take for granted that um, when we talk to our, our students of color, they... Um, they point some of those things out. You know, I mean, obviously the, the language um, the language barrier is a, a first and foremost one for a good chunk of our, our students. And, you know, we've heard stories of our, of our students who are incredibly bright and, and knowledgeable being put into, into remedial classes because, because they don't know English uh, as well as they should. And so uh, that's, you know, just an example of, of where some of the systems that we've built in the past have been uh, letting some of our students down. And, and I guess we've, we've kind of got sick of uh, just admiring the problem, if you will, you know, and looking at the data each year on whatever the measure is um, and saying, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a gap, there's a, there's a problem, whatever. And, and we just committed to trying to do something different to move the needle and to make uh, a positive impact on those students. Would you say that historically your workforce has or has not matched your student population then? 
Yeah, I mean, it really hasn't matched our population. Um, it may have matched our population uh, 30 years ago. You know, being on the, on the uh, we're about five miles out of the uh, city limits, former city limits of Madison, Wisconsin. So back in the day, we were a farming community, and then it slowly became a, a more suburban and affluent community. And then uh, also part of our district is is hooked into some of the neighborhoods that are probably some of the lowest socioeconomic neighborhoods in our in our county. And so as different demographics have risen and fallen in our school district, we've seen some of those those different changes. I have a, a statistic here in front of me that I believe you gave me saying that while your student body might be 30 plus percent students of color, perhaps only around 4 percent of your teachers would fit the same description. Is that is that sound right? Yeah, I mean, and that was even just up to a, a few years ago. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, let's talk about the realities that school districts are facing when it comes to finding teachers. As we talk about recruiting teachers and building up the workforce at Verona, what other factors are making it challenging for you? Well, I think there's a couple at play here. One is just on a nationwide level, uh, some some demographic Numbers are just are biting a lot of employers in a, in a challenging way as more and more uh, baby boomers uh, exit the workforce. The uh, generations that are succeeding them just don't have the numbers uh, and sheer numbers that that generation had. Um, certainly, in a in a good some would say exceptional uh, economy, you know, people have their pick of job opportunities and. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes that means that the teaching uh, drops down uh, on the list. And then, um, you know, one thing that's a bit more local to uh, Wisconsin has been some changes at the state level in terms of laws and and uh, collective bargaining uh, rights and privileges and things like that that also may have contributed to, you know, declines in teacher preparation programs throughout the state. Are you, are you saying that there is not enough of a pipeline to fill the positions that you're going to need to fill? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, where we once had two or 300 uh, applicants for every elementary teacher opening, now it's more like 50 or 60, and that's still a good number. But, I mean, just from a comparative basis, that, that number is significantly less. And then when we start talking about some of our harder-to-fill positions, uh, math or science or special education, we might be lucky to only get four or five applicants for a position, and that's across the board. Then when we start talking about, well, what about applicants who, you know, diversify our workforce for race or ethnicity, uh, gender, uh, first-time college attendees, things like that, it, it makes those pools even smaller. So you've begun something pretty interesting here. I know you've begun a Grow Your Own Teachers program. Whose idea was that? Well, it, it was something that I think that we came together on as an administrative team. You know, I had done some, some research on, on the topic and seemed like there was some interest in this across the, the United States. And, and the more I reached, searched about it, you know, the fact of the matter is that a vast majority of teachers who are employed by a school, public school system, went to their own high school within like an hour's drive of where they work now. So focusing in on that local, immediate, personal kind of recruitment base just really made a lot of sense for us. 
Tell me about what the program looks like. When we say grow your own, what what does that mean? What what are you doing in order to build up a pipeline of people who may want to teach at Verona Area School District? Yeah, I mean, we, we really have it set up as a two-track, a two-prong approach. The first prong that we looked at is trying to identify support staff who do not yet have a teaching certification but might otherwise be qualified for the role. A lot of times we were we would find support staff who maybe already have a four-year degree either in education and didn't get certified or even in an, another you know discipline, uh, but they found out after working with kids for a while that they really have a heart for it. And so that was kind of what we considered the low-hanging fruit, where we were able to put out a recruitment effort to our internal staff, go through a selection process, and then, you know, with that group of, of, of support staff, again, primarily who already had a bachelor's degree, it was just a matter of getting them in an alternative teacher certification program, nights and weekends and things like that, in 18 months, and we had a, a good group of, uh, of teachers ready to go. The other prong of our approach was a little bit more long-term, but probably one that we hope will have uh, deeper and longer-lasting traction, and that's with our own students. So we've been working with our our current high school teaching staff to identify potential students with, you know, some of the characteristics that we'd like to see in a quality teacher, and then actively soliciting them as part of a recruitment process, in addition to, you know, just doing a a blanket mass mailing to all of our juniors and seniors to identify, you know, this opportunity. As we think about these high school students that you're looking at and saying that you may you may be a great fit for teaching in this school district, what are the kinds of things that you offer to them who are interested in the program? And then what do what do you get in return? Yeah, you bet. I think that really goes to the heart of of the opportunity and the the value proposition. You know what we offer. We've been fortunate enough to uh, partner with a local college that you know has a pretty uh, pretty pricey yearly tuition as a as a private institution, but they've been seeking to diversify their student body, and through a partnership, they reduce their tuition uh, by about a third, and their financial aid would cover about a third of the students' tuition and grants and internal scholarships, and then we'd pick up the other third. So we could talk to students about an opportunity for them to have a fully paid uh, bachelor's degree from a tuition standpoint at a pretty quality institution and and walk away with a, a teacher certification. And then in exchange for that, we ask that they, they come back and teach uh, with us for four years afterwards, kind of a year-for-year year kind of exchange. And then we'd forgive the money that we paid towards their tuition. How many people do you have in the program? I, I'm, I'm listening to you describe this, and I, I'm thinking that it sounds fairly costly. Well, you know, it's, it's not cheap, but it's, um, there's also a cost to turnover. There's also a cost to, you know, students who, you know, we're not doing as well as, as we 
can. So we've got uh, typically about two students enrolled in the program for each year. So a a new cohort kind of each year. Each year's uh, cost is around $10,000 per student. So, you know, for for $20,000 and per year and then over time that builds up to where we've got maybe 80 or $100,000 of uh, ongoing exposure we've got anywhere from 2 to 8 students in the in the pipeline tell me about what the selection process looks like as you look at your student body and and try to identify people who might be a good fit do you have a higher number of students competing for these slots how do you identify the ones that you think hey we we really want to invest in you through this program yeah i mean we've um the interest in the program has grown slowly uh but surely and um you know that that word of mouth and culture um i i can't emphasize that enough as as really you're the leading edge in terms of of your recruitment efforts we've we've been able to interview over the past several years um basically all students who've applied for the program so we haven't had super um significant turnout maybe 10 or 15 students every year and we're graduating classes of around 400 or so each year, something like that, maybe 450. So again, we're not talking about uh, super huge numbers, but a, a lot of the process that we do in terms of assessing potential uh, students for the program looks a lot like our interview process for teachers. You know, we, we really work hard to make sure that we have uh, a balanced interview team uh, in terms of race, ethnicity, and gender, people who are you know excited and passionate about uh, the work as well. And then um, we actually have our students answer the same uh, 10 or 15 screener questions that we use for our, our teacher candidates. And what's nice about that is that those questions aren't as focused on you know, lesson planning and, and grade books and, you know, curriculum, you know, setup and things like that. We figure we can kind of teach people about that. What we can't teach them about is some of the things that are born and early formed in terms of, you know, um, conflict resolution, uh, conflict de-escalation, race relations, uh, advocacy for students standing up to bullying, you know, things like that, that we find that that uh, anyone can have some of those experiences growing up if they've if they've had uh, that particular alignment of their interests and beliefs all along. Hmm. What are the key attributes of both students and support staff that you look for as you try to identify who to bring into this program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, we're we're we'd really try and be uh, intentional about what we're looking for to allow people to uh, self-select um, for the program. Because the last thing we want either for the, this program or for you know, other vacancies that we have in our school district is to not have a good fit. And so some of the things that we talk pretty openly about that we're looking for are, are people who are, are flexible, they're a- adaptable, they're committed, they've got that grit about them. They can operate in turbulent and ambiguous situations. They keep going when the going gets tough, in other words. They've got a positive attitude, they're problems 
solvers. They've got a growth mindset. They see the positives in every child. And they really believe that they are the biggest determinant in that child's success. Um, instead of, well, if the parents were this or if the, the kids were this or whatever, it's like, no, what, what can I do as an educator to help this child learn and grow? Uh, they focus a lot on, on equity. They understand that one person's lens through life may not be another person's. And, and we really try and emphasize that in both our recruiting and hiring, but also in our in our practice. And then we really want people who are, are learner-centered, really believe in building relationships versus compliance, and um, you know want to help kids in a very personalized way to learn and grow. So after you did the research, before you got this program up and running, how did you get it up and running? What, what steps did you have to take, whether it was with board policy, with budget, with getting people on board? How did you just get this ball rolling? Well, yeah, great, great question. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of it, uh, anytime you've got a, a change or a initiative, things that you're you're trying to put in place in an organization, it starts at the top. And we we're very fortunate all along to have the support, both of our superintendent, uh, my superintendent, my boss, and then also uh, the school board, the Board of Education. So, and by that support, I mean things like modifying some of our, our policies to provide for this program, but also even beyond that, to create some more flexibility in our recruitment and hiring practices uh, to give us the authority that, boy, if we see a really uh, exceptional candidate and and we want to try and hire that person, we don't have to jump through the hoops of doing a posting and and posting a position, going through this big uh, screening and interview process. If if they've got some good credentials and someone we want to bring on board, we have more authority now to make those things happen than we did in the past. The other big change and, and, and kind of startup thing was just setting the money aside uh, for this, taking money out of our operating budget, like I said, about $100,000 a year to say that, you know, we're going to make this money available for our Grow Your Own program. And a lot of times people, you know, people say, well, where, I, we couldn't, where would we find the money? I mean, it's a great idea, but where would we find the money? And it's like, well, we got to remember that budgeting is all about priorities. And so we really Really looked at this as a priority, and that's why we basically found money and, and either didn't fund other things or took money away from other things to, to make this happen. Scale of 1 to 10, how difficult was it to sell that priority? Uh, it, it was not that difficult, you know. Um, we're, again, we're really fortunate to live in, a, in an area that really understands the, the value of diversity and, and equity and, and supports that. So, Four, you know, <laughs> that's great. Uh, most of the most of the challenges just were my own in terms of uh, finding time on the calendar and, and trying to figure out a path uh, that I hadn't been down before. Hmm. So once you have it up and running, of course, now you have to get the word out. How did you do that? How did you make this known to the people that you wanted to get it in front of? Yep. Yeah, again, uh, really focused in on that local, immediate, personal connection. You know, obviously, we know our employees. We we know their home address. We can send a letter to their house. We know our students. We can send a letter to their house. But more importantly, um, we really tried to look at multiple modes of of communication and and connection by linking up with 
kind of key communicators in our Latino community, in our African-American community, in our Hmong community, and trying to put ourselves in uh, meetings and events and situations where we're talking to individuals in our community, either as employees or students or parents, who you know have that affinity for some of those things that we're looking for, and we we start telling our story. And and one of the one of the things we found is that even that the first year when we kicked this program off, our um, diversity hiring went through the roof in terms of results. And we hadn't yet graduated anyone through either of our programs. And I really attribute that to that word of mouth out in the community that, wow, something's different here this year, you know, and and I don't know what it is, but I like it. And so that to me was like kind of that, that curb cut effect where, you know, if you do something good for one particular group of of people, what do you know? It ends up being a good thing for everybody. You're saying that people heard that you were doing a Grow Your Own Teacher program in order to intentionally raise the level of diversity in your teacher workforce. And as a result, you were able to hire more diverse teachers that didn't come through that program. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Absolutely, 110%. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, like I said, that when we kicked this program off the first couple of years, we darn near uh, doubled the diversity of our, our workforce, our teacher workforce, and our program hadn't even been kicking out graduates yet. But it was all because of that word of mouth and that, that communication that, wow, something is different here. Did you hear anyone say anything to you in particular about that? What kinds of things did did people say when you spoke with them about it? Well, um, I think that what, what, what I heard was that people appreciated the honesty of saying that, you know, what we've been doing in the past for our students of color in particular hasn't been working very well. And owning up to that and being humble enough to kind of put that out there, I think, uh, resonated with a lot of people. And also acknowledging the fact that, you know, there there is an important connection between um, students of color and, and teachers of color. And making that a priority, I think, kind of elevated elevated that with, with a lot of our applicants, you know, kind of elevated their thought of us as a district and also as an employer. Hmm. Let's say I'm in high school and I'm interested in this program what does the process entail? If if I were in one of your classrooms and I was saying, you know, I would really like to be involved in this career year and teacher program, I might like to come back here to Verona to, to teach at some point, what would it look like from my perspective? Yeah, it, we, we tried to put in as few barriers in the process as, as possible. And so we tried to keep it really simple. Things like, hey, send us your name and address and what year in school you are and what's your GPA nowadays and what what appeals to you about the program? You know, I mean, just a, a few short question, question and answer kind of things. Qu- you know, question about, you know, what are some things uh, you've done in the, in the past to uh, reduce race relations? And so just a couple, three questions and send that to our attention. And we would convene a panel of people to uh, to interview people who applied. Hmm. And right now you have, you said, roughly eight to ten people working through the program. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean that. Well, that's the the kind of the capacity of our program at any one time. As you know, uh, not everyone who starts off in college ends up uh, graduating from college, and so uh, we learned a few things along the way, and and actually restructured the some of the. Um, the financial pieces of it so that there was more onus on the the college to help students have a successful freshman year. Um, so right now, to answer your question, I think we've got five students in the program uh, who are former high school graduates of our of our system. And the first one will be graduating um, in December of next year uh, in special education. See, okay, so, and and that and that person will then take a role at your school district in a special education role. Correct. Yep. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about what you've learned as you've started this all. As you look back on the past several years since you first began, what have you learned? What are the things that you would change or do the same? Well, some of the things that we've we've learned along the way is the importance of. Um, really understanding what's required for different colleges from an admission standpoint and trying to involve the colleges that we've partnered with um, sooner rather than later. I know like one of the things that our primary college learned along the way is they've restructured their uh, student advising program so that they have one uh, advisor that our Grow Your Own students work with from the time that they're juniors or seniors in high school all the way on through until when they graduate um, with their education degree. You know, we've learned a lot about just some of the different barriers that come along the way. I mean, I mentioned before that it's, it was fairly easy to get this program up and going. What's not been so easy is is working through just a lot of, of different um, cross-currents and perceptions along the way from current staff, from those and some in the community, um, you know, in terms of questions. And we've, there's even, uh, we talked about a term in terms of uh, opportunity hoarding that, well, gosh, if, if some students get this opportunity, how will that affect my child? You know, and so you know, we know that that's that's an issue, and some way it's just human nature to think about you know one's own child. So those are things that we've learned along the way. It's a lot of work too. <laughs> you know, that's the other side of the coin. It's like we we put this new program in place without any additional staff, and um, it takes a lot of time. A lot of this turns into kind of a one-off, one-by-one situation because each kid's story is is so much different. Each um, staff member's story is different in terms of their background and where they're trying to go career-wise. Would you do it again? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You know, it goes back to the old saying, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you always got. And that's exactly where we were. And, um, you know, I feel like we're, we've been taking some positive steps. Again, we're, we don't have all the answers, but we're, we're working down that, that equity path. And it was really rewarding for me just on a personal level. You know, my own children attend our school district here. And it was neat uh, when our first cohort of uh, Grow Your Own uh, staff members entered the workforce. Uh, that first year, one of them was my daughter's uh, sixth grade teacher. And so that, to me, was kind of, again, just kind of a manifestation of that local, immediate, and personal connection that, that we're all about. 
Well, we have been speaking with Jason Olson, Director of Human Resources at Verona Area School District outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And he's been talking to us about a Grow Your Own Teacher program that they're doing. Jason, thank you for uh, sharing your work here with us today. Oh, thank you. Does your school system have trouble filling all of its vacancies for teaching positions? If so, take a moment and check out our field guide to recruiting millennial teachers. You'll read about key characteristics of this generation, how to effectively market your school district to prospective teachers, and strategies for enriching your applicant pool through online recruiting. It's on our website. Visit frontlineeducation.com slash fieldtrippodcast and click on the resource center. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. You'll find new episodes when they're released every other Friday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Field Trip is a podcast from Frontline Education, home of Frontline Recruiting and Hiring, a software solution designed to help you proactively recruit more applicants and quickly identify the best candidates and get them up to speed. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening and have a great day.